Hello and welcome to the Blockbuster Hall of Fame. We are here to talk about X-Men First Class. I have with me Seth Bracken and Jordan Martinez. Ray Sweat is out this week. He is on vacation. Who takes a vacation, especially during the summer? Selfish. Selfish. A real dedicated teacher, educator would um, teach summer school, but Ray, we love you. (laughs) And we will hear from you soon. But X-Men First Class came out in 2011. Sort of a reboot, soft reboot of the X-Men franchise from X1, 2, and 3. Now we have Matthew Vaughn taking the helm. So, Seth, this was your choice. Please tell me a couple quick thoughts about the movie. So a couple quick thoughts about the movie is that, uh, well, we're going to get more into adaptations in a little bit, but I absolutely love this movie. And... It did something that I never thought was actually going to be possible, and that was give me a Charles Xavier better than Patrick Stewart, or at least on par with Patrick Stewart. And it also made, and something I loved about it was it was a great X-Men movie that did not have Wolverine at the focus. And we can only say that about one movie. That was X-Men, and it is this one. All right. <clears throat> Jordan, what do you think? This movie, uh, I remember when I first saw this movie, I absolutely loved it. Uh, Sometimes when you come back and revisit a movie, you realize it's still good. It just doesn't have the charm that you remembered it having. And I think that's the big takeaway I have from this movie. All right. I, I love this movie the first time I watched it in theaters. And the first time I watched it on video when it came out, I loved it. I watch it probably once a year. This, excuse me, is one of my favorite X-Men movies ever made. So I enjoyed it. I understand what you're saying, Jordan, with the charm, because again, the charm isn't there upon rewatch after rewatch, but it's still just such a good movie. And this time around, I really just fell in love with James McAvoy all over again. And Hey, I think he's one of the more underrated actors that are that is out there. So for discussion topics, we are going to start off with one Matthew Vaughn. He directed this movie, X-Men First Class. And some of you may or may not know, did the Kingsman series, which is pretty popular right now. Actually, you guys may know that. But what you may not know is that he had a hand in a lot of other Guy Ritchie films such as Lock, Stock, Two Smoking Barrels, Snatch, and Layer Cake. So, Jordan, start us off. Tell me sort of your history and your thoughts on one Matthew Vaughn as a director, producer, and writer. I've seen pretty much every movie that he's directed on the list, other than the latest The Kingsman movie and Stardust. And I'm like... That's a movie I probably should say. Because I do enjoy all of his movies pretty much. Even uh, Kingsman, The Golden Circle, where I absolutely love The Secret Service. The original one, The Dur- Golden Circle, while a, le- a bit of a letdown because I was so excited from the first one, I still found it very entertaining. But Kick-Ass, probably in particular, I just thought was something new and special. And I, I still feel that way with this Kick-Ass movie. So, yeah, uh, we talked about, like, Kingsman and how much... Oh, sorry, Seth, your turn. Go ahead. Tell me a little bit of your thoughts on um, one Matthew Vaughn. So, my my history of Matthew Vaughn is uh, I have actually seen a couple of them, not all of them. Uh, Stardust, I've actually heard great things about, but I've never actually watched it. I liked Lyricate. Uh I love X-Men First Class. I like... I actually loved both of the Kingsman movies. I've not watched the third one yet because this is 
is a movie that I buy and I watch while drinking a glass of Glenlivet uh, because that's just how I watch those movies, apparently. And I actually had the opposite reaction to Jordan, but because of the way I watched him, I actually bought him as like a two-pack Blu-ray special DVD, or not DVD, but case thing. So I just watched both movies back-to-back, so I didn't have that like year-longs wait for the next movie. So it was just like, oh, hey, this is good. Oh, hey, this is the exact same stuff and still really good and everything. Uh, so I'm excited for that the next one or the prequel, The King's Man, to come out. Uh, and I have oh. never watched Kick-Ass <laughs> because I don't do Mark Millar if I can help it. If I can avoid Mark Millar... I avoid his work. Uh, and so, I mean, I know the Kingsman is. Um, I know that's his stuff, too. Uh, I bought that solely to watch while drunk. Uh, if I'm going to be honest, that's about the only way I would ever be drawn to a Mark Millar project. But Jordan said it's good, so maybe I might need to check that out. I don't know. I've yet to see Kick-Ass because of it. Uh, just by the way, the Kingsman came out last year. <laughs> the prequel one? The third one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, because uh, you made it sound like it hadn't came out yet when you said that. No, that no, was... no, 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 no. That's a movie I watch uh, when I'm when I'm drinking at home. I, they don't like oh, okay. it when I bring in a bottle of Glenn Lovett to the movie theater. I don't. I thought this was America, but apparently it's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, apparently it's not. I can't um can't bring in a bottle of Glenn Lovett to a movie theater, but uh to bring back to last week, you can bring something else into the movie theater. Apparently, um. <clears throat> okay, so Matthew Vaughn as a... Andy. <laughs> Apparently Matthew uh, Vaughn... popcorn's in the shortage right now. <laughs> so that might be a pain <laughs> to bring in. Uh, Matthew Vaughn as a producer. So again, he produced uh Lockstock, Two Smoke and Barrel, Snatch. Um he also produced what we don't really think he would produce is rocket man the movie you know detailing the story of one elton john and he also produced two comic book movies that are less than received well or um okay just bad bad sorry guys i'm trying to put it in a nice spin trying to sound like a movie critic at this point no they're just fucking terrible movies he helped produce sorry my cat feeder just went off uh he helped produce fantastic four the one with um you know michael b jordan and kate mara playing brother and sister and he helped produce he executive produced actually not helped executive so top billing producer bloodshot yes the movie with vin diesel go ahead go ahead look like Bloodshot was the best combo movie to come out in the year 2020 in the month of March. There was <laughs> absolutely no other combo movie out in that time period that was better. It was quite literally the best movie of that month in that year, which for those of you that don't remember was the year they pulled every other movie out of the movie theater because that's when COVID really hit America. So it was the best movie in the movie theater at one point. It can claim that. It can make that claim. But God, that movie was so bad. It was so, so bad. Although it did have a really, it had Eliza or Isa Martinez, the one that was in Morbius and in Baby Driver. She has really bad luck with comic book movies, guys. Like she has some really bad luck. (laughs) But Baby Driver was amazing. She was amazing in that. And Vin Diesel was being Vin Diesel. He has one role, and that is to talk gravelly and look tough while getting beat by bigger people than him. So, Jordan, uh, any thoughts on any of the movies he produced? I know uh, Lock, Stock, Two Smoking Barrels, and Snatch are just like classic movies. Um, I prefer Layer Cake, but objectively, those other two are better movies. But Layer Cake was my first introduction to Daniel Craig before Casino Royale. Those are just like great movies he had his hand in. I said it was my introduction. Tomb Raider? Tomb Raider. Are what? we forgetting Tomb Raider? Wasn't he in Tomb Raider? Wait, am I am I losing my mind? I think you are. Was he a writer? He's. I don't see him on production for it. No, no, Daniel Craig. He said. Oh, Daniel, Daniel Craig. Craig. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I was, well, I mean, my introduction to like Daniel Craig being Daniel Craig. So okay. <laughs> he just helped produce a lot of movies that were, and the three of us are the same age and are for more formidable years. Sorry. Um, growing up so any thoughts on those movies you'll produce from guy snatch is probably my favorite of of those movies just because it was something 
just completely different and unexpected that I just absolutely loved. And there's never been quite another movie like Snatch. Uh, <clears throat> that's probably one of the big uh, things. I, I, so after the success of Snatch, I think Guy Ritchie really went down. Like, I think the next movie he did was Smoking Aces, if I'm not... And he tried to do so much of just the action parts of Snatch, but that the action of Snatch is not what made Snatch that like, memorable. It was the it was the dialogue that really made Snatch yeah, stick and, out. But he was like, "Oh no, everybody loves Snatch for the action," and I was like, "Hey, that's not why everyone loves Snatch." <laughs> and so they, and then I think he overcorrected with um, Smoking Aces. Like this is what everyone loved about it, but. Yeah, no, so I think Matthew Vaughn is, like, very good. And then we talked about the Kingsman series a little bit. And um, he, I think he's just, like, on a roll. He's found his niche. And I, I really like what he's doing as a producer and director. Um, so, for our next discussion topic. Seth, do you want to take us away on this one? Because you yes, are ready. I am. I got some opinions and I have some thoughts on this. And I think they're very important. And you so this, up for us? this is going to take a little bit. It's my philosophy on adaptations because I feel like if you're going to talk about the X-Men movie verse, you have got to understand the lens through which you should look at adaptations and what makes them good or bad. Because if we're looking at like a straight text for text adaptation, right? Let's take Shutter Island, for example. If you read the book, the movie almost spot on. Almost nothing changes. It's a perfectly fine movie. Nothing wrong with it, right? But if you were to look at like the X-Men comics to the X-Men movies and you're like, oh, panel to like screen, mm, not a good comparison, right? So what makes a good adaptation? For me, when I look at it, it's going to be, do they get the core of the characters correct? Is that character correct? And then do they put them in this new situation? And we can look at it like a multiversal situation. So some like characters and roles are in different aspects like mystique in this case right or even angel or azazel which i'm not sure if those are familiar with the x-men comics but you definitely do not want to know about azazel in the x-men comics do not look up that story by chuck austin called the draco i did say all that intentionally so that way i hope some of you do look that up because if i had to suffer reading it you need to suffer reading it as well <laughs> uh, but uh, like some of these characters you know as long as they get the core of them, they can change them and put them in new ways. Like, for example, American Assassin is a movie that is a terrible adaptation from the book. Like, it is nothing what the book is about, right? I enjoyed the book, but I love the movie because it stuck to what made Stan and Mitch rap the two main characters in that movie, like, who they were. So I love the movie, even though the book was nothing like what the movie was. Whereas, for example, I think The Shining is a movie that should be and this is stanley kubrick shining should be banned from all of hollywood we should forget that it existed every copy should be burned and it should and yes i am saying this and i'm going to stand by this because that book was amazing and he went and he gutted out the heart from every single character there wasn't a single character in that movie that acted like they should in that book and if we ever watch that movie i will probably rant and rave for an hour and a half giving detailed notes about why each character was wrong and how that movie wasn't even good for its invert in like movie verse logic. And so that's an example of a bad one. And that's, and then the X-Men, right. Is a bit of both with this different film series, but to go to first class, which, so we're going to watch all these four movies. Every time I'm talking about an adaptation, why well, I think it's a good adaptation. It's I'm talking about, did they get the characters right? And this is something that for the most part, this new age trilogy, prequel trilogy, quadrilogy or whatever. I try to, sorry, I keep forgetting dark Phoenix exists. Uh, for the most part, I think they do get the core of the characters right. And that's something in this movie that I really, really loved because they got Xavier and Magneto so right in this movie compared to what they are. And they not that they adapted any particular story. The Cuban Missile Crisis was not a thing in the comics. It's just they got these. OK, it was a thing in the comics. It's just they didn't have that storyline in the comics, but they just got these two characters right. And the MCU is a perfect example of looking at the core of the character and then just putting them in new situations and making it work. Uh, they do it slightly better with the costumes where X-Men does not, but X-Men gets the emotional, the emotionality. If you'll allow me to do a Robert Downey Jr. from Tropic Thunder quote. Perfect. So like when I look at adaptations and I'm talking about them, 
It's all about do they get the core of the character right, not did they follow the book text for text because Shutter Island I barely ever watched. Good movie, better book. American Assassin, I'll rewatch The Shining. I would rather blind myself and then watch that movie again. So, yeah. I get Well, uh, I was going to ask you a quick question, though. One character in particular. Beast. I don't know if it's because maybe it's the Beast, an early Beast version, but Beast in particular seemed a bit off than how I would always remember Beast being. And maybe this is because he's more accepted of who he is because he's been there for a while. But what are your thoughts on the Beast character? So, okay, like... I actually liked the. There's only one part of Beast I didn't think feel like they really got, and that was the more, uh, you know, jocular, funny. Uh, you know, I'm gonna be kind of like the guy that Iceman plays off of, and Iceman's not in this, or they don't have like the comic relief, so there wasn't really the comic relief, which is what Beast usually plays. But I thought they did a great job of like, because you know, in the initial comics, you know, he's not blue, and then he does some uh, experimenting on himself, actually in like the Avengers, not even in X Men, and then comes back all blue. Uh, Ferd and everything like that. And I thought they did a good job of working that in, especially using, you know, uh, Raven's DNA to do that. So I was actually okay with his because there's only one aspect they left out. Uh, but I should also tell you that I absolutely freaking hate Beast from the comics with the passion of a thousand fiery suns. He is my least favorite X-Men character. Oh, okay. So maybe you so, like this is an improvement because he's also a bit of a philosopher and you didn't get any feeling that this dude was a philosopher. So yeah, is... it's older Beast gets that way, and I wonder if we if we had got the privilege to see him in six movies or something like that, if maybe we would have. Because you got a little bit of that with Kelsey Grammer in X-Men yes. 3, which I don't like to think about. Which I feel like if you're going to cast Beast, he was like, personality-wise, was a good pick for Beast. So that's oh, why yeah. I was... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But where that's a bad movie, they did do a good job on casting him. Yeah. <laughs> He was perfect for the role. So what do we think of the Mystique character? Okay. If I may talk for just a touch longer on that. Here's the thing about mutants. Very few mutants in X-Men are actually bad people in the strictest sense of a bad guy, right? You know, usually you have a typical superhero bad guy, the superhero villain or the supervillain is like just a bad dude because they're in it for themselves, there's greed or something like this. Mutant bad guys tend to have a difference of opinion on how to solve the problem of mutant hate. And whether it's the militant view of Magneto, the, you know, apocalyptic view or apocalypse view of survival of the fittest, whether it's Charles Xavier, you know, kind of bring them together, or whether it's the Cyclops Utopian, which is bring everyone together and do a mashup of all three. So with Mystique not being necessarily a true supervillain, because all mutants, they tend to always have this like spectrum sliding scale of good to bad. I'm actually okay with Mystique not being necessarily the straight up villain that we're used to seeing. Uh, even if I feel like the straight up villain would probably play better than what we got. So I I don't like it, but I can at least appreciate it. For me, I actually, I like her in this movie because I feel like it's a part that, like, I understand her much more in this movie. Like, the whole p- point of her always hiding who she was when she could be whoever she wants to be, and that most of the people were like, didn't like seeing her in her natural form and were a bit off taken on it. And so I get why she went with Magneto because Magneto was the one person who was like, no, no, no. I want to see the real you and accept the real person. And so I like that the basic understanding of who Mystique is, I I felt like they got right. It is a bit weird, though, that, yes, she's like one of the founding members of the X-Men and everything, and that and it was like one of the main leaders and stuff. But besides that, I, I actually like the Mystique character in it. So when we talk about being faithful to the adaptation, one or the two characters that Seth mentioned that they spot on and Professor X, Charles Xavier and Magneto in um, Eric. Oh, my gosh. Seth Lincher. Lincher. Eric yeah. Lincher. Um, so let's talk about the motivations between them and the adaptation from the comic books to the movie. And the parts that really stuck out to you. 
Seth. Okay. Well, uh, one I really like. So, first of all, there's this myth that Stan Lee created them to be Malcolm X and like MLK. That that's a straight myth. If anyone ever tells you that, don't don't believe them. Stan Lee had nothing to do with that. None of that even came into a process until like X Men, Giant Size X Men number one, and like X Men '94 and all this stuff or '97. Can't remember. Uh, it was when Chris Claremont took over the book and he started kind of pitting the idea of two different versions. But even then. Looking at them too philosophically as MLK and Malcolm X to me doesn't it doesn't work that way. It only work, really works in like broadest of strokes, like in the most macro of level of the idea of only on the surface of you have a more militant side and you have a more pacifist side or trying that's to you know we, that's how I know people don't know yeah. who Malcolm X is because they only think of Malcolm X as being militant and by saying by any means necessary. But by any means necessary doesn't necessarily mean militant. So yes, and <laughs> that's why yeah, it doesn't that, work. Yeah. That's why I say like everyone should read it's a long ass book, but everyone should read the biography of Malcolm X by um with Alex Shelley. Amazing fucking book, and it will really open your eyes to a man who they actually do have some similarities, but not the similarities that people want to pick. They yep. both struggled. They both hurt. They both have been cast out. They both went through a lot of family issues. They both changed their well. One changed his faith, but in the comics, uh, Magneto doesn't really have a faith in that sense. But he changed his mindset, um, which can lead to changing faith, as Malcolm X changed to be a um, the Islam, the faith of Islam. So yeah, no, Seth, keep going. I love that. No, yeah. So uh, anyone ever tells you that, by the way, again, Stan Lee did not do it. Chris Claremont was the one who kind of took that to that level. But even then, it, it doesn't really like like we went in. It doesn't really work quite like that. It's more like just opposing dimensional viewpoints. And like this movie wasn't really adapting any one particular storyline. There was no one particular storyline in the comics that this lines up to perfectly. But what it did is it took the idea of Magneto, who mutant first, we're the future all this good stuff, kind of like how the end of this movie where he's like, hey, you know, I want you to know I agree with everything you're saying, uh, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have to kill you. Uh, anyways, to Sebastian Shaw. And then you have Xavier, whose faith in humanity to try to still have that, you know, the dream of Charles Xavier and to see them start off as friends. And then, which is not how this, his whole get in the wheelchair didn't happen that way. It actually happened with an alien named Lucifer in X-Men number 20. And yes, that was also a bad story. Yes, I name dropped that one because if I had to read it, you should have to read it. <laughs> uh, it's one of those things where it, it's like to me, this is what an adaptation on the screen is for. When you take that material and the idea of, you know, two old friends who share like a basic thing of they want mutant kind to be okay and safe, and then show how that path diverges. I feel like they did that perfectly in this movie. Uh, it's one of the strongest points in this movie. And they really got to the idea of who Charles Xavier is as a person in his in this mutant world. And then who Eric Lynchure is as a person in this mutant world. And so you got to see all that kind of stuff being at play here. Uh, and it led to a very, I don't know, got emotional watching this movie. I watched it a lot and I still get emotional at the very end of the movie. I'm all like, yeah, that hurt a little bit. Causing friend and stuff. I, it's great. It's, it's and it sets up the opening scene of the x-men movie that's one of the things you know because it's acting as a prequel and so he calls him my old friend like if you just watch all these movies but not watching dark phoenix just pretend it never happened and then just watch x-men and then it's like okay this is great it's fantastic i love it jordan, jordan what are your thoughts on the um Charles xavier and eric lyncher dynamic yeah i feel like they they nail it where they where Magneto, you you fully understand where Magneto's coming from and the reason why he has the values that he has values. Because you can't get much darker than uh, a concentration camp Nazis. And then the fact that he goes and hunts down Nazis. And you understand and you're like, yeah, go kill those bastards, pretty much. And then when he sees that what's happening now with the mutants and everything, and he's like, wait, this is history repeating itself. And so that's why I feel like he fits so well in it, and they go into it a lot more, especially like the simple line of, oh, uh, 
about they're just men following orders. And he's like, yeah, so were the Nazis. Just men that are following orders. And I lost my mom from that. And you could feel the pain in that. And so, yeah, they really nailed Magneto why he is he doesn't trust humanity like Xavier does. But Xavier, completely different lifestyle. And you see why Xavier's more open to trusting humanity and everything, because he lives with them. He he's he's had he hadn't had to deal with any of the issues that Magneto's lived in. So the movie did a great job of offsetting the two and having you understand them. You don't have to necessarily agree with them, but I do feel like you need to understand those two characters, and they did a good job of that. All right. So, yeah, no, I really love the, um, excuse me, the adaptation and the, you know, showing these two, because as our first three movies, we saw in McKellen, Patrick Stewart play these two amazing characters for two movies, uh, still waiting on the actual X3 to come out. I guess they just decided to saw free boot after X2. Um <laughs> That's exactly what happened, and I will. I, I agree. That is exactly what happened. <laughs> I was like, "Hey, man, the movie did well. Why are we rebooting?" Cool, um, I guess. Um, but yeah, no. After like coming from those two iconic characters, and like as we're still growing and getting older, everyone keeps going back to, "Hey, that's Professor X and Magneto." Even though you have Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy, an amazing job as these two people still go back to the two original. So they had a big shoes to fill. And I will say they filled them, which is insane. They had the biggest shoes. That's like if they remake the Lord of the Rings series and whoever they cast as Frodo, I God rest your soul, whoever they cast as Frodo, because Elijah Wood did the greatest job. So, that's sort of what it feels like um, going into this. All right. So we talked uh, in depth about adaptations and how this movie was faithful to the characters, not necessarily a particular story. So now we're going to get into a little bit of our notes. So I know in the past we do notes and nitpicks separate, but let's go ahead and combine the notes and the nitpicks, guys. Jordan, you want to start us off? biggest nitpick is I would have liked a little bit more time with the the team when they got when they were putting the team together and I I feel like that was my biggest disappointment when I rewatched the movie was I felt like there needed to have been more uh, team bonding with all the other additional X-Men characters because they I feel like they had a really good likable group and I just I'd like to see a bit more of that chemistry go through. And so that's probably my biggest nitpick with this movie. Any other notes from the movie? Like good, bad, anything else? Uh, like I said, uh, I still enjoyed this movie. I just didn't enjoy it nearly as much as how I remembered it. And that was the big thing, my big takeaway watching it again after some time. Because I'm... Like that whole team up uh, segment where they were going around picking everyone up and they had that 60s music going and everything. I love that part. And I just would like a little bit more of that. Okay. Uh, Seth, notes and nitpicks. All right. So, note, I just want to go ahead and state something for the record because there seems to be this revisionist history happening over the last couple years. And it is that the X-Men franchise saved Marvel. There would be no MCU without X-Men. Uh, Blade was not the first modern superhero movie that people like to claim that it is. Blade is a comic book hero. Yes, he is. That movie was not a superhero movie, and I stand by that. Uh, if it is, that makes Buffy and Angel just as much relevant to saving the superhero industry. Uh, and no one thinks those are superhero TV shows. Rightfully so. Uh, so anyway, I just want to go on record and state it. X-Men saved MCU. They stopped him from being bankrupt. And so we had the whole MCU thanks to the X-Men movies. That said, I do have some nitpicks. And this is going to seem somewhat uh, maybe hypocritical of me after I sat there and just talked about how core characters and everything. But uh, there's a character that I feel like they did no justice to that they were trying to actually take from the comics. And that was Emma Frost. Uh, I had a massive issue with January Jones in this movie. 
Uh, and I'm not sure if it's her fault, the writer's fault or whose, but well, they did a terrible job with her. And I also have a nitpick with the Brando people that they chose. I know Jared, you're going to get to this in a second, so I'm not going to bother talking about Darwin, but I will say like Darwin angel and not angel with the feathery wings for those that haven't seen this movie. All right. I'm talking about the one who like kind of acts like a little butterfly with some acid spit played by Zoe Kravitz, who I forgot was in this movie, by the way, when I saw this movie, I was like, Oh yeah, I forgot she was in this movie. Nothing uh, respect for my cat woman. Oh, Hey, I love Zoe Kravitz. I was like, which made me even more upset that they gave that role to her. Like that's what you cat? You cast Zoe Kravitz with this role. I, <laughs> Uh, anyway, it was just little things like that that kind of irritated me. And I'm going to be honest with you. My last final nitpick is Jennifer Lawrence. And I am going to save that conversation for the fourth dark, fourth movie, Dark Phoenix, because I refuse to watch Jennifer Lawrence movies now that happened post-2018 uh, or 19. I can't remember when that crappy movie came out. Uh, but... I've got, while I was positive about her in this movie, I feel like later on I am going to have my own thoughts with, with her on it, because my opinion does change with her on that. So, um, for me, I guess my my notes are that I really love the chemistry between James McElvoy and Michael Fassbender. Although they worked really well on screen together. Again, as I was mentioning earlier, you got some big shoes to fill with Ian McKelling and Patrick Stewart because they, their chemistry is undeniable. And they literally hang out all the time in real life. They're like real life friends. I think so Patrick that, Stewart officiated his wedding. Yeah, no. So like they're real life friends. So that's why the chemistry between them is so unmistakable. So for Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy to emulate that same level of chemistry not being friends in the real world is pretty, pretty great. So I love that fact. I love that chemistry. Um, shout out to Banshee. I love that Banshee was in here. And I just, that's one of the original characters. Uh, one of the founding members that I felt like never got his due. Oh, not founding member. Sorry. Not he was founding a done in X-Men 28. Then he came in later. Oh, damn it. Thank you, Seth. Uh, it was in the comics, but he just—he wasn't one of the original. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, he's fine for the movie though. He's a founding member for the. For the uh, so no, I uh, I I don't know. I just enjoyed seeing him out there and doing his thing. It just it just felt great. And then um, this is also a nitpick, but Havoc. I like Havoc, but also him being before Scott is nitpick. Um, so yeah, like him though, <laughs> um, and uh, Rose Brynn, bless her heart, she, you're, she's much better than this. She's a better actress than this, but she could have done better. She could have actually he used emotion with her lines. See, okay, that's what I was getting at with January Jones because, like, the female and Zoe Kravitz, the female characters in this outside of Jennifer Lawrence, they either weren't given a lot of material to shine or a lot of space to shine because it felt like they kind of struggled. Actually, now that you say that, I think it's more on the production side in that case mm -hmm. um, because they all, like, I, every single actress, act, sorry, actress separately. Is a fantastic, phenomenal actor because I mean I love Mad Men. So January Jones is spot on in Mad Men. Zoe Kravitz, obviously, we just saw her in the Batman. Selena Kyle, the utmost respect for the Queen Zoe Kravitz, and of course Rose Brin is just in a lot of movies here and there, every kind of different role. And Jordan, we talked about her when we reviewed Sunshine. She was great in that movie, but then you get to this movie and it just feels like every female character or female actress or actress just deliver their lines so flat and it's like maybe if one does it okay but if two or three are doing it then it's like what are y'all giving them to work with 
So, Which is no. a shame because X Men has a lot of strong female characters. It's one of the things the whole franchise is known for. Oh yeah, and I mean, so when we get to Days of Future Past, obviously this is we haven't watched it yet, but from my mind, the female characters in that movie do much better. But only in this movie, only one female character, and Jennifer Lawrence is actually given the reins to fly. And I guess my other nitpick is towards the end of the movie, Michael Fassbender's Irish accent was just coming out thick especially giving that speech on the beach in cuba i was like hey man i i love you but it's just remember you're supposed to be playing a german uh, like a polish german character but the irish accent is coming out all right it's irish because he's not oh sorry no no he's born in germany but he is irish okay because I was like confused there a bit. Okay, so Literally, he's lived no, most of his life in uh, Northern Ireland. Okay. Yeah. The Irish accent came out towards the end of that movie, and I'm like, what's happening? <laughs> but uh, those are my nitpicks. All right, guys, we're going to get into the category. So, our category, first category, always best scene. What are we talking about? What's our best scene, Seth? Oh, on the beach, Charles has been shot and, you know, Magneto's blaming everyone else and Charles tells him it was you. And that whole interaction right there, that's that's the best scene for me because it was the one that was the culmination of all the emotion uh, with a very close second to the quarter scene. I did enjoy that moment. <laughs> I So I'm going to as much emotion and as much draw as I get from the beach scene. And it's probably the best scene, but I just, that quarter scene just rent free in my mind. (laughs) So I got to go with that. I got to go with the, the quarter through the head because just, Hey, me, nothing, me, nothing. My brain. Remember that quarter scene from X-Men first class? What? <laughs> I'm not even thinking about X-Men. But I like from that just for that sole reason, I gotta go. I gotta go with the quarter scene. I'm sorry, Seth. I, you're, ultimately, I, you're ultimately right, but that quarter scene just rent free. I'm sorry. Close second. I mean, for me, it was, <laughs> it was truly a close second. Because I mean, think about this. How many major villains in a comic book movie are killed slowly with a not just a quarter? They're just killed slowly like that, right? Like no big climactic moment. The guy's frozen and the other guy's just looking at him saying, hey, I agree with you, but I want you to know I'm going to kill you now. I mean, like, it's just something that doesn't happen in comic book superhero movies. You know, that's something you see in non-superhero movies, really. Jordan? I was going to say when uh, Thanos first dies, when Thor's pissed off at him and chops his head off. Oh, yeah. But see, and the thing about that yeah. one, you're but right. That, that was more like a joke. Yeah, you know, it was like, more supposed to be ahead. anticlimactic. I know. It's like, yeah. oh, I got nothing from that. Yeah. So I was just giving an example where, yeah, they kill off a villain and you're just like, what? Huh? That's a good point. Because you expected this big fight and then it was just, I went for the hood. Yeah. Uh, I want to say the Blackbird SR-71 scene, just because I love the Blackbird SR-71. Just beautiful airplane. It Built in the 60s, but still looks like it could be modern-day built. Uh, Is it still the fastest plane? Well, jet engine plane, because you have the uh, X, X-15? X-15. That uh, was a basically a man. You just—it's a man controlling a rocket that launched off a B fifty two. Okay. And Maverick hit Mach ten just the other day. So, like, <laughs> you know, I'm just saying, I throw that um, out there. SR seventy two on that one. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it. I I, I'll have to go with the beach scene. I, a close second's going to also be when they're getting the team together, mainly just because I love that music when they're getting the team together. Oh, that was good. But yeah, I when I remember back with this movie, most of the scenes I feel like are important are happening on the beach, and so I will have to go with that. All right, so as you hear, there are a ton of good scenes in this movie. 
Um, we got the Blackbird, which is beautiful. We have the quarter, and the winner is the beach scene because it's just... I think it's great, and it's an amazing launching point for the rest of the series. Uh, Seth, go ahead. Real quick, Jordan talked about like you know them getting the team together, that music and that scene. That was a really great scene, and we have none of us have really... Never mind. Never mind. I take it back. I'm going to talk in a little bit because we're going to get to lines in a second. I'm going to talk about it then. I oh. take it back. I take it back. Well, you know what? That's our next category. Best line. Let's go. Um, I think we all have one in mind. <laughs> We all have the same one in mind with our particular uh, favorite, one of our favorite Australian actors. Um, Jordan, do you want to talk about your favorite line? Well, I did spoil it a little bit earlier and when he was talking about uh, men following orders. And it never... <laughs> and Oh, especially when they bring it up the second time. Because the first time is pretty good. And then the second time where it's a callback to that uh, with the Nazis where they're just like, Oh, I was just following orders. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that 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 one's always hits hard, I feel like. When uh <laughs> when uh P- Professor X was like, don't do anything, they're just men following orders. They're not responsible. He's like, Yeah, no, no. I, he's done with men following orders. Seth? So my actual best line and the line that I feel like, okay, this movie has the best use of the F word of any movie, I think, ever because of how surprising it was when you initially first hear it. Like, when you see Wolverine, right, in the bar, they're walking in, they say, hey, we're here. And he's like, go fuck yourself. And then they're just like, okay. And then they leave and you're like, oh, hey, that was, oh, no, he's not in the movie. Because everything has been Wolverine-centric by this point, right? They had four movies about Wolverine, and this was the first X-Men movie that wasn't about Wolverine. And so, I don't know. I think it's one of the best uses of the F-word in a PG-13 movie, period. I mean, I'm not sure. Maybe I might be hyperbolizing a little bit here. I got to think about that a little bit more, but I feel like it's one of the best ones. But my favorite line, best line, is I'm Frankenstein's monster. I love that because I love the parallel that he was drawing between his creation and what he is and his stories for that matter, uh, to Frankenstein, you know, the hunting down the people, finding meaning in his own life. And I mean, yeah. So I actually think that's probably the best line for me, but the go fuck yourself is great. So again, Hugh Jackman dropping the go fuck yourself. Great line. Um, and so since I guess the rating system changed because in, I guess older PG-13 movies, you could swear probably a little bit more, use the F word more, but then obviously the rating system went through an overhaul, so they limited to one F word per PG-13 movie. So again, caught us by surprise. But ultimately, I have to go with Seth on this one. Uh, Frankenstein's monster is the best line because it's just, you created me. And so if We've all read Mary Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, or I hope we have. It's actually not a bad book if you have it. (laughs) Um, So we've all read that, and we see how it goes. We know the story of Frankenstein, and so I think it's pretty pretty spot on. So, yeah, I'm Frankenstein's monster is our winner. Next, who is our MVP? Who's the most valuable player? Which is going to be a tough one gonna be a tough one so me and jay are gonna be on like opposing sides of this one i can already tell you i just know for a fact that he is not going to be agreeing with me on this uh all right let's go jordan i want to hear yours first before seth and i butt heads well i do like the both of the lead actors in this movie for me michael fassbender in particular he stood out in this movie so I am going to go as Magneto Michael Fassbender. And I want to make a quick little thing because I didn't say his full line how it is. Uh, it's been, uh, I've been at the mercy of men just following orders. Never again. Which is a great line. Too, yes. Such a great line. <laughs> yeah. And it but was I, set up so well. Yeah. I felt like I had to say that just because I sort of butchered it on it. I w- wanted to make sure I got it right when. <laughs> okay. All right, so the MVP of this movie, and I am uh, 
I actually, now I'm going to say this, I don't want to spoil it, but you know, it will not come to a shock to anyone who hears me speak on this. Uh, is 100% Jordan is right. It is definitely Michael Fassbender through and through. Fantastic job throughout. I mean, his was his confliction, the fact that, you know, look, him hunting Nazis. Okay, that was supposed to be like the initial movie that this whole thing was supposed to be about. And I would have sat there and paid damn good money to watch that movie of him hunting down Nazis the whole time. That is a fantastic thing. I loved that. Uh, I love seeing the vengeance part of him. I love seeing him also go from rage to serenity to peace. And, the, you know, the whole thing of, you know, is he actually going to kill the guy? Of course, we, all, we knew he was going to and everything. We knew he was going to get the helmet and everything. So we know how this ends. But even as you're watching, you're still kind of somewhat hoping maybe he won't. But at the same time, you're also kind of hoping he does. Uh, and that's that I pin that on Michael Fassbender. The fact that he made that, you know, like you relatable and the fact that he struggled his struggles and his anger and his rage he was really good like talk about the great lines here i mean of the three lines that we put up there it was hugh jackman and two michael fassbender lines i'm just saying michael fassbender for mvp michael fassbender should also be the mvp of every movie we watch whether he's in it or not but that's fine that's for a discussion for another day all right well Michael Fassbender is our winner, but I will say my piece. I do not pick Michael Fassbender. I pick James McElvoy because I personally feel James McElvoy is a better actor. I feel personally Magneto's role was better in this movie. Don't get me wrong. But James McElvoy literally stepped in the shoes of Patrick Stewart. Iconic look, iconic feel. Professor X, Charles Xavier. We loved him. Professor X could do whatever. Literally, he just popped up in a brand new MCU movie. That's how much we love him. But James McElvoy literally invoked those same emotions. In this movie, he had his long hair. He was walking. He was talking but he was still able to embody someone who he knew so well. He, was, he took a person who just felt like home cooking, who felt like soul food. He took that role and made it his own and made it his own version of his soul food. And that's why I loved it so much. But ultimately, the way that it was written, Magneto was written as the better character. So Michael Fassbender is a great actor. So it... <laughs> he just took it and ran with it. I'll be honest. Like, yes, he is the MVP. My personal preference is James McElvoy, but it, you'd be a fool to argue with Michael Fassbender. Honestly. Honestly. So I just had to say my piece, but Michael Fassbender is the winner. Um, so six man, guys. Who we got, Seth? James McAvoy. Because James McAvoy is really, really good in this movie. Uh, <laughs> he is, I think, like, he really does. In all honesty, if I mean, if we really are going to be completely honest, like if we we're going to do like a co MVP type deal, honestly, you probably should be a co MVP to this because yeah, they drive the movie. The way they play off each other and everything, there the differences between like when you see Eric Lynch as an adult, it's him hunting down Nazis. When you see Charles Xavier, it's him drinking beer and hitting on college coeds. Uh, and you get to see like this difference in upbringing from when they're little kids to adults, but really when they're adults, they truly hit it. And James McAvoy, everything he said was true. Uh, you know, he, he's going to do really good in the next movie. Uh, you know, so is Michael Fassbender and I will save my vote for in discussion for that movie when that happens. But like it, I mean, whoever, whoever is the person who's like, you know what, we need to cast these two people in these roles. They deserve a pay raise and lifetime recognition award from the Oscars because they gave us like this fantastic pairing of like of people and characters. It was like, they were born to play these roles. As you said, Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen, best friends right and they stepped in and filled it so my six man has to be james mcavoy all right jordan all right so my six man i'm gonna go with kevin bacon for the six man i really enjoyed him as a villain and i think that's partly why the 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 quarter scene works so well because he's so good of a villain you're just like that's how he goes out but like, he's the. Because we talked about how uh, Magneto's a man that 
uh, at what cost? No, Magneto's not a man at, at no cost. Kevin Bacon's character is a man that will do whatever it takes to get what he wants at, at with no, at no cost. But I was like, without no, any that, remorse yeah. or anything like yeah. that, without any morals or anything like that. Uh, and so it's really it's like a spectrum with these characters of like going from good to full evil and Magneto's right there in the middle and I feel like Kevin Bacon really did a really good job at being you take Magneto and you take him even extremer of like oh no mutants will be the prominent species and so that's why I enjoyed the whole spectrum of characters we have between the three of them so yes Sebastian Shaw is actually who I was going to go with as well Kevin Bacon he did a really good job playing a menacing villain. <clears throat> and I think the best part about him being so menacing as a villain, especially in a superhero movie with the X-Men, he didn't he wasn't a big like brawler. He was not a brawler at all. That was the best part about it because when we see the X-Men and we're like, it's a team-up movie. It, the villain has to be a big brawler. No, the villain wasn't. The villain was just, hey. All I got to do is poke you and you fly across the room. That's all I got to do. I'm going to use my charm. I'm going to use my smarts. I'm going to outthink the telepath at one point of the movie um, with the scene where they go to Russia and then they're like, oh, shit, Shaw's not there. No, Shaw's back at the base wreaking havoc, um, pun intended. Um, but the point is, you don't get that that often because again when you think of team up movies especially now you think of the avengers and thanos and like oh thanos is a brawler yeah he uses brawn but like the intro to infinity war is him beating the shit out of hulk so hulk doesn't come out so he stuck his date uh, bruce banner so uh yeah no shout out or now now on to shout out sorry on uh, anybody y'all want to shout out yes Kevin Bacon. <laughs> yes, y'all had my list here. He was the person I had to do. Because I was going to say, and, and it actually, there is something to actually say that to add on to what y'all said, is that, you know, we talk about adaptations and core character values, right? So you talk about him not being a brawler. Sebastian Shaw is literally a brawler. That is literally what his villain's thing is. You know, he takes those kinetic stuff, and he's like this big buff guy who, like, goes around beating people up while dressed in Victoria's Victorian England, knickerbockers and stockings and shoes and a sash. I am without sure. Hellfire Club. What is? Yeah, exactly. I mean, so they took that character. Who I, honest to God, I'm going to say this. I never want to see that character adapted to live screen in that that kind of dress because I don't think I could take that seriously. It works in the comic book because it's a comic book, but on a live screen it doesn't. So Kevin Bacon to take that character with the same power set and everything and apply it in a much more menacing way really was. Great. So I 100% agree with y'all as far as everything you said about Kevin Bacon in this movie. I mean, I love Kevin. I like Kevin Bacon anyways. Uh, by the way, there's also a lot of people that were in a few good men that were in this movie, like small roles and stuff like that. And I just find that to be kind of funny. Like Kevin, actually, never mind. It may have only been two. Kevin Bacon and Matt Craven. But I just, I don't know. The casting for this movie was very uh, interesting. There was a lot of characters and our actors who were like, oh, that guy's in this. Like, Seely Boots' brother from Bones was in it. Uh, Michael Ironside was in it. Uh, you had the dude from the 1990s, the Saint Val Kilmer, the Raid Shabaga, or something. I don't know how you say his last name. The Russian guy who January referenced the Saint. I did. I did. I did reference the Saint because the Saint is a great movie. No, but, no, it is. It is. Yeah. But I, <laughs> not every day you hear a reference of the movie The Saint. Well, that was going to be the 90s movie I picked, uh, but I, was, I wanted to do Scream instead. And that was the one I couldn't remember when they were like, hey, can you pick a different one? I was like, nah, I can't think of one right now. It was The Saint that I was trying to go to because uh, great movie. But I don't know. There, there's a lot of actors in this. And the the only thing about the narrative, I'm not going to do that. That would have been a pick, and that doesn't even matter. But yeah, there's a really good casting in this movie. Again, the, whoever did the casting, other than Zoe Kravitz for the character they picked to give her, and uh hey dude you didn't talk you didn't talk about darwin oh no don't because the the next award is a russell westbrook award which oh is that's what you're gonna award. talk about oh okay i got you my bad dude sorry i didn't mean to spoil that one whoops i blame jordan 
blame me. Uh, so, I didn't say well, anything. Nice segue into the Russell Westbrook Award. What? So, listeners, this is our newest award or our newest category that we're going to talk about on the show. So, we all love Russell Westbrook, but he's a little bit past his prime. Um, unfortunate. I love him. I was still staying for him, but it's just something we got to talk about. So, this award essentially means which element of the movie, if taken out, would make it better. So, uh, I will start us off with that. So, I choose the character Darwin. I think the movie would just be better off without him because why would you introduce a character who can literally adapt to any situation just to have him killed by, hey, swallow this glowing ball of energy? Hey, he can adapt to the situation. Why can't he adapt to removing the ball of energy? Because obviously energy cannot be created nor destroyed. Why can't he adapt to removing the ball of energy, either from his stomach or regurgitating it back through his mouth? It doesn't really make much sense to who the character is. Now, is the character overall necessary? No, not really. Is he a good character? Ah, that's up to you. But don't introduce a character with a particular skill set to survive anything. And guess what? He actually doesn't survive anything. He's the first mutant to die. So there is that. That's why I think Snoopy would just be better without him because you're left with more questions than answers. You're not wrong, but anytime Darwin dies, I'm going to be a fan of it because I don't like the character. So (laughs) I kind of glad that they killed him in that movie because I was like, Darwin's a dumb character. Sorry to all the Darwin fans out there in the world. I don't think y'all exist. I, I think y'all are bots, but it's fine. <laughs> I don't even uh, remember no. Darwin from X-Men, so that's why when they, they introduced him, I was like, who is this guy? But Because yeah. he's one of the cons. <laughs> no one remembers him. I know. I'm just upset. What's the point of having a character who can adapt to everything, but then he can't? One of the best things about what you just said is one of the major plot points of Darwin's story is that no one remembers him because he was in Deadly Genesis, which is this retcon that goes all the way back to Giant Size X-Men number one. And so everyone forgot about him for like 30, 40 years until they finally introduced him back again. So I just find it really funny that you're like, no one remembers him. It's That was literally part of his story is that no one remembers this guy. Yeah, because when I I saw him in the movie the first time, I'm like, I don't recall them being one of the X-Men or even feel like this is one of the X-Men characters because a lot of them were like, oh, okay, yeah, I remember that one. But him, he, I was just like, what? Okay. Mm. Yeah. And the powers don't even feel like X-Men because usually they're more focused. And he just seemed to be like, whatever. I wasn't too sure what his powers were. So, yeah, Jordan, who is your um, Russell Westbrook recipient? Russell Wilson. I don't know. I really don't have anything in particular that I hated or disliked that felt like needed to be removed. The Darwin probably maybe the closest just because I felt like his death was just purpose like, oh, we want the team to unite and feel bad about the death death of one of our characters and everything. And it was a character that I I felt like I was more confused than anything when they put him in. Uh, I liked the actor. The actor seemed like if you gave him a better role, I, I felt like he, it would have been a lot fun to work with. He's uh, good with villain roles. Okay, I I'm not too familiar with him, but I'm just like I like the dude. It just I felt like it was just a bad part. Uh, yeah, that's that's my thought. It's like nothing's really like outstanding that I feel like needed changing. Seth, yeah, mine would be January Jones because, like, when you if you're gonna have Emma Frost, Emma Frost uses her sexuality as a power play, and she's constantly trying to one up everyone. She is her own formidable person. And I know I said that, like, they could, and this is where my nitpicks on it, like, core character things. It seemed like they were trying to use a, you know, beautiful woman who uses her sexuality, and they were trying to go for that, and they just utterly failed with it. And again, I don't know if this is January Jones, if this is the direction or the writing, but I feel like, honestly, the role she was playing was unnecessary because 
I mean, she was answering Sebastian Shaw, like, go get me some ice, and she was good with it. And that's – if you're going to have a character who uses their sexuality as a weapon, you can't have them subservient to men because then they become this weird, uncomfortable cliche or something. And I just – I don't know. I didn't like Emma Frost in this movie. So they could have taken her out and replaced her with anyone else in this movie, and it would have been fine. Or at least a different version of Emma Frost would have been worked better. So for me, I give to Westbrook award goes to January Jones and Emma Frost. Right. So we're gonna play everyone's favorite game. But before we play everyone's favorite game, this is the part where Ray and his thoughts and his ideas on the movie. All right, so, Ray, you got your rant time. Let's go. <laughs> ready? All right. So silence for 10 seconds so he knows the stamp. Ready now. Okay, so now we're going to play everyone's favorite game. After hearing from Ray, we're going to hear Ray singing the Rotten Tomato song. Five seconds of silence. All right. So our winner last week was Jordan. He got it spot on. So, Seth, what did this movie get on Rotten Tomatoes and why? Okay. I am going to go with 94% because it was a great uh, soft reboot. However, some people didn't like it because it had the name X-Men in front of it. And they are superhero buyed out because around 2011 is when they thought that a talking raccoon in a tree wouldn't work anymore and superhero fatigue was going to happen. And we all know that turned out to be exactly the case and no one even likes Guardians. I'm kidding, by the way. That was a great movie. Guardians is a fantastic movie. Everyone loved the talking raccoon in a tree. Alright, yes. so 94 Okay, we went up high. Jordan, what do we got? What do we got? Okay, first of all, I think that's part of my issue with this movie, seeing, a sec- or seeing it again after a while, is the fact that we're so used to really good superhero uh, movies that this one just seemed to be, for me, like, okay, it was still a good movie. I just didn't enjoy it as much as I originally remembered how I enjoyed it. Anyways, with all that being said, I do remember it being very strongly... Uh, advertised that this was like incredible Rotten Tomatoes review. They had that seal of approval by Rotten Tomatoes. I don't remember what the score was, but I remember that was. So I think Jared's on, on or not Seth's on point with that. So I am going to I'm going to go 92 on it. I swear to God, oh, if you get this exactly God. right. <laughs> I can't believe you did that. What? Oh. Okay, the movie, everyone. I'm sorry, Seth. It got an 86 on Rotten Tomatoes. Jordan is the winner. <laughs> Actually, Shakti had such a low score. I got to be completely honest. With I was you. really thinking it was going to be in the 90s. Because I remember how oh, heavily they advertised it being like, that that had the seal late in it, and I guess that's just because. Oh yes, no, this is not X Men Three. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I don't like. Obviously, I'm not gonna look up the scores to the next movie because I don't know if I'm gonna host or not. Uh, worry about that when we get ready to record. But I think that one actually is gonna be higher than this 86. Personally, that's what I think. But all right, before we wrap up, would you recommend this movie to a friend, Jordan? Oh yeah, that's I'd recommend it. As much as I was saying I ha- hadn't enjoyed it as much uh, with this viewing, I, I'd still recommend it. I don't want a friend who doesn't like this movie. <laughs> Straight Ooh. up, this is this is like I, I showed them these these movies, these next two movies for sure. If they don't like these two movies, you know, we had a good run. Whether that was a day or a lifetime, it's fine. Uh, we don't we don't need to like each other. We don't need to talk anymore. I don't need that negativity or talkiness in my life. So, yes, I would absolutely. Recommending this movie. Now, the question. Is this going in the Blockbuster Hall of Fame? Jordan. Uh, I'm not going to put it in it just because I did not enjoy it as much with this run-up. But I, I have a feeling you guys might put it in. So, 
we'll see. So it might get in there still. I'll go ahead and say yes. I am because I again I tell you I watch this movie once a year almost and or well now that it's back on streaming platform. Uh but yeah, it it's just so enjoyable and like Jordan said, it doesn't have the original charm that it had for me, but it's still just as enjoyable. Charm withstanding, it's still just as enjoyable. Seth. I mean, my my vote's going to be yes, uh, because this is a movie that feels like a philosophical superhero movie, and there's not many movies that seem to rely rely more on the philosophical differences of their main characters as the plot point and issues. I mean, and that's just a very unique thing that, to me, makes the movie feel fresh, even when I'm rewatching it over and over again, especially if I'm watching other superhero movies that don't really seem to rely as much on that as their true conflict. Uh, you know, the, usually the conflict and the payoff is they beat the bad guy. This one was, you know, Xavier and, you know, Eric having their head butting on the beach. And so I, to me, the uniqueness of it makes it rewatchable. Uh, it feels like a fresh breath air every time I do. Uh, so I don't know. yeah, I could watch this movie every year and be completely fine with that. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. We all recommend it, and two of us put it in the Hall of Fame. So since there's only three of us on this episode, this movie is going into the Hall of Fame. A 66% vote. So next week, we will be watching X-Men Days of Future Past. Uh, So I look forward to talking to you all again. And in the meantime... Have a good one, and we will see you later. See ya. See ya.